Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Impact Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'm Pastor Brandon, the church planter and lead pastor. We are a new church in the D.C. area that is centered on the gospel and sent to our neighborhoods, Northern Virginia, and the nations. Please visit our website at www.impactfxbg.church. There, you'll find our current meeting times and locations. Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening. My name is Wes. I'm so excited to, to be with you today. Uh, Brandon and I, um, when we were at our elders retreat, we were talking about um, what we could do and when we wanted to plan me to preach a couple of sermons this week or this, uh, this month or this year. Sorry, I'll get it eventually. It's been a week. Um, anyway, so we were talking about it, and he said, well, how about you do one in Philippians, and how about you do one in Advent? I'm like, okay, cool. I love Advent. If you've been to my house, it's like Christmas threw up on it. Like, we're, we're Christmas people. He didn't tell me he was going to schedule me the Sunday before Christmas. Uh, so I was like, okay, cool. A um, little anxiety, but we're good. Um, so if you will, if you have a copy of God's Word, if you don't, uh, I can recommend a really good app for that. It's called Version. I would love for you to pull out your Bible and turn to the book of Luke chapter 1. Uh, Luke is in the New Testament. And over the past few weeks, we've been walking through the book of Luke, uh, specifically the first two chapters, as we have been talking about Christmas, as we've been talking about Advent. Um, Advent is a word that means coming. Like, that's what it means. And so it is the season that we celebrate uh, between Thanksgiving and Christmas as Christians, as we both reflect on and remember Christ's first coming as he came into the world, and then uh, as we look forward to him coming again. And that's what we praise the Lord for, and that's what we celebrate. I mean, we talked about it today. We sang about it, that, O come, Emmanuel, and that he's our living hope. And so we are so excited to do that. Um, and so excited to celebrate that. And so we've talked about Zechariah, and we've talked about Gabriel, and we've talked about that announcement of John the Baptist, and we've talked about all these different parts to the Christmas story leading up to this one, which is where we meet uh, probably one of the more central characters in the Christmas story, who's Mary. Now, again, when Brandon said, hey, you're going to preach during Advent, I didn't know he was going to give me the Mary sermon. So he and I are going to have a conversation about that later this week. Um, but it's a good thing for us to talk about today because we need to talk about Mary. Um, let me ask a question. This is the audience participation point of our time today. Um, how many of you have a nativity scene in your home as part of your Christmas decorations? Okay, um, we have about 15. Um, <laughs> and that's just because my mom is, uh, <laughs> I heard that. Uh, my mom is a, a, a collector of nativities. That was a thing for uh, me growing up and it's kind of bled over into some our life now. So we have about 15. So uh, just a quick rapid fire, just call out, who are some characters that you see in the nativity scene? You see Jesus, that's good. And where is Jesus typically? In the manger, that's good. All right, and who else do we see there? We see Joseph and Mary. They were both there. I know some of them just have Mary there. Joseph was there too. He, I mean, they were both there. It was kind of a thing. Who else do we typically see? We see the shepherds. Okay, they come a little bit later. We're going to talk about that next week on Christmas. And who else do we see? The wise men, though the wise men aren't supposed to be there uh, because they don't come until Jesus is too. So that's just one of the things that happens. But you can, you know, go home and fix your Christmas scenes before and have that conversation with your kids. Go hide the wise men. They can come on January 6th. So um, that being said, though, when we talk about those nativity scenes, we often don't think about all that that symbolizes and all of the pieces that led to that point. Mary just didn't, you know, show up at the stable and have a baby and all of a sudden it's Christmas. Okay? There were some steps that led up to that, and they were not easy. 
And so today, that's what I want us to talk about. We're going to read this story, and we're going to read some scripture, and it's part narrative and part poem. And we're going to talk through this about Mary, but I really want to hone in on this point, that Mary's job was hard. Her job was hard, and I'm not talking just normal hard. You can talk to any woman in here who has had a baby, and they will tell you that that is not easy, okay? That is not an easy thing to do, to have a baby. I don't know. I've never had one. So you have to talk to them. Um, it's not easy. But this was especially hard because Mary was in some different circumstances. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. If you would, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read a little bit here, beginning in verse 26. So Luke 1, 26. It says, um, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Amen. And Jesus said to, or excuse me, and Mary, not Jesus, Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age uh, and has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Y'all, that's so good. And it's just stuck in here. Luke, the gospel writer, sticks it in here, just in this matter-of-fact narrative style. But there is so much happening just in that little piece that we want to talk about before we can move forward. First off, where did, uh, where did Angel go? Where did Gabriel go? To what city? This was your paying attention point. Nazareth, right. Okay, so we think if you are familiar with the gospel story and you're familiar with Christmas, you think of Nazareth as like this really awesome place, like Jesus of Nazareth, like that was a thing, right? Y'all, Nazareth was nowhere. Luke had to put that in there because nobody knew where it was. It was like me saying uh, the angel Gabriel was sent to Olo, Mississippi. All of you would look at me like, I'm sorry, what? Okay, that's where I grew up. Exactly. It's a nowhere place. So when we think about this, the angel Gabriel wasn't sent to Jerusalem, to the home of the king. He wasn't sent to uh, Rome, to the emperor's house. He wasn't sent to these grand places. He was sent to a backwoods stick town that had probably about five huts and a market. Okay? I just want you to get your, your thing here. This was a small town girl, and living in a small town world. Okay, there you go. Um, <laughs> th that's what was happening here. Um, so we go to Nazareth, and this angel shows up to this teenage girl who's betrothed, which is an old-fashioned word that means a little bit more than we mean when we say engaged. There was actually kind of three steps to a, a, a marriage in this point of time. There was the engagement, which was when the husband, the guy showed up and said, I want to marry your daughter, okay? And that was the conversation normally between their parents. Some, they were involved too, but normally between parents saying, yes, this is a good deal. Then they entered the betrothal period, which is basically like a pre-marriage marriage. 
Okay? There was paperwork, things were signed, things were promised, and the only thing we're waiting on is for Joseph to get off his duff and build the house. Okay? Some of you women are nodding. You're like, I know that story. Okay? Um, that's all that they were in. They were in that weird waiting period before they got married. So don't hear betrothal and think, oh, that's, like, that's engagement. No, no, it was a little more serious. There was, there was legal constructs around this. And so they're in this betrothal period, and up shows Gabriel to Mary, this teenage girl, probably about 14, and says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Just want that to sit in for a second. You're sitting in your house, chilling, waiting on your betrothal to get his stuff together so that we can get this marriage on the road. And out shows an angel, this big man shining with the glory of heaven, and he says, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. I don't know about you, but that might cause me some pause. Because I have some things. I have some questions. It's just some quick follow-up points that we want to work through. But I want to talk through you what this actually meant. What was Gabriel saying to her? First off, he said that she was favored. What does that mean? Does anybody know what favor means? We use it all the time, right? Hey, can you do me a favor? I was asked that 15 times this morning. Hey, can you do me a quick favor? <laughs> and what we mean by that is, can, can you do me a job? Can you do something for me? Right? That's what we mean. The word favor, though, doesn't mean that. That's not what it means in, in this time. The word favor meant that you have found pleasure in someone. If you were in favor with someone, that means that you were in good terms and they were pleased with you. So you wanted to be like in favor with the king. You wanted the king's favor. That meant that you could kind of do whatever you wanted to do. And the king would say, hey, this is my favored one. Okay. But here shows up an angel to Mary's house and says, greetings, favored one. Meaning that she has found favor with God. That's a little bit of a different scenario here, especially when we've already talked about that this was in a time period where the people of Israel were living in this time where for 400 years they have not heard from God. No prophets, no new knowledge, no new nothing. Silence. And up shows an angel and says, greetings, favored one. It's the same word, those of you um, who read the Old Testament, it's the same word that's used for Noah in Genesis where it says that Noah found pleasure in the sight of God, that he found favor in God's sight. That's the same idea. So the thing is, is that this, even right here at the very beginning, this teaches us a couple of things, not just about Mary, but about us. Because what it tells us is that Mary found favors in God's eyes, and we're going to find out why in just a second. But that tells us something very clear. Mary was seen by God. Mary was directly in his sight. There was no part of Mary's life that was outside of God's vision. That's important for us because that's true for you. God sees you. There's no part of your life that's outside of your vision. His vision, I should say. And two, in God's sight, he said, Mary, you have favor with me. God says the same thing about us who are in Christ. God looks at us and says, you have favor with me. I'm pleased with you. And that is an important thing for us to note because what that tells us is that if God has found favor in us, then who are you to say that you don't have favor with yourself? Sorry, we're diving in deep. <laughs> we're, just, we're going for it today because it's rich. This is rich stuff. But it's important for us to know because Gabriel tells Mary this to prepare her. He did not want her to doubt over what was coming. She needed something to rest on. And what she needed to rest on was the favor of God. You are favored. 
You have God's grace on you. And then he finishes out his statement and he says, the Lord is with you. So right there, we have three things that Mary has to fall back on. One, God sees me. Two, I have favor in his eyes. And three, he's with me. What's beautiful about that is that God says those same things for us. I see you, you have my favor, and I'm with you. Now, the problem with this, for me at least, is that this is the start of our conversation. <laughs> Where are we going? You know what I'm saying? Like, when, if you've ever had a conversation with someone and it started off heavy, and you're like, if this is where we start, where are we headed? That's kind of where we are, which is why Mary's response was greatly troubled. <laughs> she was greatly troubled at the saying. She had some stirring in her heart. She was like, okay, if we're starting here, where are we headed? Because this is never good, okay? It's like when uh, my wife comes in and says, so I need to talk to you, okay? Anybody ever gotten that text message before? And you're just like, oh, here we go. <laughs> where are we headed? That's kind of what happened, all right? So it says she was greatly troubled. I mean, yeah, there's an angel here who's calling that. But listen to what she does. She, she's greatly troubled and tried to discern what sort of greeting this was. So Mary didn't get greatly troubled and say, all right, I'm out. <laughs> Peace. She tried to figure out what he was saying. She was trying to figure this out. This shows on our part that Mary had some humility there in her heart. She was humbly trying to figure out what was going on. She didn't let this become something to puff her up. She didn't hear, oh, greetings, oh, favor, when the Lord is with you. And she went, yeah, he is. Yeah, I am. She didn't do that. Okay? That wasn't that streak of pride that would have existed if the Lord showed up at some people's houses. Like if they showed up at my house and talked to my kid, they would, and the Lord said, greetings, favored one, the Lord's with you. Yeah, he is. Good. <laughs> Good. Uh, that's not what happened. She had humility. And so obviously this was written across her face. Her face had subtitles like some of ours do. And so the angel continued and he said, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So he repeats it, right? Now I don't know. Uh, so just so that you know, I, I was an English teacher in a former life. I kind of still am. And so uh, this is kind of one of those literary things that you need to know. When something gets repeated, it's important. Okay? Um, it's kind of like when your grandmama was telling you something to do as a child. If she had to repeat herself, you knew it was important. Okay? It's the same thing here. He says it again. The Lord, you have found favor with God. You are favored. So that's twice now that he's, she's been told that she has favor. And he says, you've found favor with God. And behold, so because of that favor, what does this mean? You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, if Gabriel had stopped right there, a whole bunch of alarm bells would have rang in Mary's head. Because uh, one, she was a virgin. Two, she was betrothed to another man. And three, she's 14. What you talking? I'm going to conceive and have a son. What are we doing? Like, there's some questions here. But notice that Gabriel phrases this in such a way that that task came with God's favor. Sometimes God's grace and favor comes with hard things. It comes with hard things. And that's what he was putting in front of Mary. Hey, you have God's grace. You have God's favor. He is pleased with you. He is with you. By the way, the next nine months are going to be really hard for you. Because you are going to conceive and bear a son. And you're going to call his name Jesus. And you are going to have to deal with society issues, living in a small town. 
You're going to have to talk to your husband-to-be and tell him what's going on. You're going to have to deal with parents and family. And not to, not to you know, he, she didn't know this yet, but to add insult to injury, you're going to get to travel probably about 90 to 100 miles to go have a census right about the time that you're due on a donkey. Okay? I've driven my wife when she's nine months pregnant in a minivan. Don't nobody want to be on a donkey at that point. Okay? So there were some things here that were going to be really hard. But he says, you have God's favor. And then what I love, though, is that he didn't stop there because Gabriel gave her a meditation on who Jesus is. Can we look at this real fast? He calls him, he says, he will be called great. Now, that is not Frosted Flakes great, okay? Great, that's not what we're talking about. That word great means abundant. It means surpassing. He will be abundant. He will be surpassing in goodness and greatness. Okay? He will be called the Son of the Most High. What I love about this is it says he will be called the Son of the Most High, not he will become. Jesus didn't have to become that. He already was. He was just reinforcing that for her. He will be called the Son of the Most High because that is who he is. It's not what he has to become. He says that the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Now, for Mary, this good little Jewish girl, that was the gong in the statement, okay? Anybody ever seen a gong, heard a gong crash? Okay, you can't miss it. That for her was the gong crash because that was when she knew that this wasn't just going to be some ordinary baby that we were talking about. We were going to be talking about the Messiah. We were talking about the promised one because Mary knew that this is what's going to happen, that God was sending a new king who was going to come and who was going to restore Israel and restore us, and he was going to do all of these things. She knew that. She'd read the Old Testament. She had to memorize the first five books before she was 12. She knew, okay? So this was a whole thing, that this was a, a gong for her. So this week, when you listen to Mary, did you know? You can get to the Mary, did you know? Yes, she did. And you can flip to the next song, okay? She knew because the angel Gabriel told her right here, all right? So you shall be called, he shall be, uh, get the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Amen. Okay? So the angel Gabriel gives her this meditation on who her son was going to be. This is who he is. And Mary's response just reinforces two things for us. It responses her humility, and it responses her knowledge of what's happening. Because she says, well, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Now, you could read that and say, all right, Mary's asking like a medical biological question. Okay, she's not. Mary's asking a spiritual question. Because Mary knew Isaiah. She knew the promise in Isaiah 7, 14, where it says a virgin will conceive and bear a son. She knew that. So this wasn't a, hey, what's happening? You know, how, how are you going to do this? How are you going to work this out? This was a, I'm just reaffirming and re- reasserting that this is what we're doing. Like, th- this, is, th- this is go time for Messiah, and it's going to be me? Like, are you sure? <laughs> How is this going to be? Um, and so the Gabriel angel asks her, answers her. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, there are a lot of people a lot smarter than me that have tried to figure out what that means. Okay. I ain't going to do it because I don't know. (laughs) Uh, And we don't know. This is one of those beautiful mysteries in this story. I can tell you that the word overshadow is the same word that's used in the Old Testament when the glory of God would fill a place. 
when it filled the tabernacle in Exodus and Deuteronomy, when it filled the temple in First and Second Kings. It's that same word. So what that means is that the glory of God was going to come on her, and this was going to happen. All the biological stuff was left to God. Because the question at this point isn't, how did Mary get pregnant? The question is, are we going to trust what God's word says? And God's word says, it happened. So therefore it happened. A virgin conceived a son by the power of God. It's mystery. It's a mystery. It's beautiful. And it's the beginning of a bookend that Gabriel's going to get to in just a second. We're going to get there. Now, um, he offers her, though, this really cool little piece in verse 36. You know, sometimes God asks us to do hard things. And we're like, you know, Jesus, I'm glad that you asked me to do something hard. If you've ever said that, talk to me after, because I want to have, get to know what you did in your spirit to get to that point, to say, yes, Jesus, I accept the hard things. But um, she, she's hearing this hard thing, and he offers her a place for affirmation. He offers her a place to go to be affirmed. Listen to what he says. He says, behold... Your relative Elizabeth is on her, in her old age, has also conceived a son. Hey, Mary, you're not alone. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. See, God's already doing miracles. He can do this in you. And he says these words, for nothing will be impossible with God. Isn't that good? Now, I, I want to be, be really clear here. That phrase, nothing will be impossible with God, is more than just something that you find on a plaque at Hobby Lobby. Okay? It's more than that. In fact, we could retranslate that a little bit differently. And how it could be retranslated, it says, no word of God shall be powerless. Okay? Can, can we just like, let that sit for a second? Nothing will be impossible with God means that no word of God will be powerless. What that means is that God's word is full of promises to us. And the New Testament tells us that all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. <laughs> what that means is that all of those promises are true. And they have power in our lives. Deep power. Because they come with the promise of God. And I don't know about you, but um, I am the person that tries to keep my word all the time. I try really hard. Um, but I'm also a person who's quick to say yes and forgot that I said it. Okay? You know what I'm saying? You ask my wife, she can give you a list, the things that I say yes to and then forget about. Uh, in fact, that was one of our contention points early in our marriage is because I would say, baby, I'm going to do that. And she said, I'm tired of you telling me you're going to do it. I'm ready for you to show me. I was like, yes, ma'am. I got it. Yes, ma'am saying that was before we had kids so we could have those kinds of conversations. Um, <laughs> so what it means, though, is that God is not like us, okay? There is no stopping to his word. It keeps going, and it has power, and he does what he says. That's what this whole story is about. Jesus' coming is him showing us that he would do what he said. He said he was going to do it through multiple prophets in the Old Testament. Now I'm doing it, okay? Buck up. Get ready. Here we go. So what does that mean for you? That means that God's promises are true for you in Christ. You find every single promise that God gives in Christ, where he says that I will be with you to the very end of the age. Guys, that's something that you can write down and tattoo on every part of your body, and it is true. It does not change. But this is also a cautionary word for us, because we can't put God's promise on things he didn't say. 
That's what I think happens when we say that nothing will be impossible with God, that we can put whatever is impossible for us there, and then God's going to do that. No, no, that's not how that works. It's a statement that says God's word has power. It will never be powerless, and he will do it. So if we're going to take that home and we're going to dwell in that, then we need to make sure what we're taking is not something that we said that God was going to do, but it's something that he actually said he was going to do. Pop quiz, where do we find that information? The Bible. (laughs) Sorry, I wish y'all could have heard Chloe right here. It was good. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we find it in his word. Now, I'm not negating the fact that God can't speak to us in his spirit and our spirit, and we can have an overwhelming feeling or understanding from the Lord. But what I am telling you, if you hear the Lord tell you something and you can't back it up with what scripture says, God didn't say it. And not only did God not say it, he's not going to do it. So you can't get mad at God when he didn't do it. I went to a, a, a Christian university, Christian college, Christian university. It was, we called it the bubble because it was very insular. If you've ever been to a small college, you know what that's like. You kind of live in your own little space. Um, and so in that space, there were a lot of people who would tell these young college students, hey, you know what? God has a spouse for you, a man or woman just for you, picked out, molded perfectly for you. Can somebody tell me where that's at, book, chapter, verse? Because it's not there. That's not a promise that God gives. What he does say is that I will be with you and I will satisfy you. Okay. God didn't say, hey, I'm going to give you a job of your dreams and I'm going to give you a salary that will make you happy, healthy, and whole. That's not there. But he did say, I will provide for all of your needs and you can cast your anxieties on me and that I will care for you. And you can look to the birds and you can look to the flowers and see that they're taken care of And if I can care for them, I can care for you. He does say, hey, you know what? Not a hair drops from your head that I don't know about. So you don't have to worry about it. I got you. The question isn't, is God's word true? The question is, are you going to trust it? And that was where he left Mary. So we want to talk about hard things. Hey, you're going to have a son by the Lord by his power. And you're going to deal with a lot of mess because of it. But God has his favor on you and he will be with you through it. So how does Mary respond to that? Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it, me, let it be to me according to your word. Do you know how good that is? That's not just a statement that sounds good on a greeting card <laughs> or that looks good when we have a Christmas service. Guys, Mary is modeling for us what our response should be. I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. What that also shows is continuing Mary's humility and acceptance, which is different from what we saw in Zechariah, right? Because he questioned Gabriel, and what did Gabriel do to him? Shut his mouth. He shut him up. That's right, Mark. He shut him up. He closed his mouth. He said, as a sign to you, because apparently you're skeptical... We're just going to close that mouth so you can't talk anymore, and then you'll figure this out that, I'm, that we're being honest so that you can trust me. He didn't have to do that with Mary. Mary trusted. She said, let it be to me according to your word. She didn't ask again. She got affirmed, and she moved forward. Guys, that is so good. And so we talk about Mary, and we put her up on this little pedestal as far as our, our nativity scenes and all these other things, and we forget that Mary is really a model for us right here. Because God hasn't stopped asking us to do hard things. God hasn't stopped that. That continues. 
But the question is, are we going to do what God tells us to do? Are we going to trust that? All right, we got to keep going. Um, She goes and visits Elizabeth next. Let's read this really quick. It says, in those days, Mary arose, and this is in verse 39, okay? In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. Notice that word haste. Mary wasn't waiting. (laughs) She said, let's go. I need to go see my Elizabeth. I need to go see this sign that the angel gave me. I need to go confirm this. I need some affirmation. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. You know, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. If you were taking notes, you want to highlight that word leaped. We're going to come back to it in just a second. Leaped in her womb. And, she excla- uh, and, Mary, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. That's good. Um, Let's talk about this real fast. Elizabeth um, was a a woman who was older in age. Now, uh, when I grew up, um, I, I grew up right down the street from my grandmother. And my grandmother was a very sweet lady. Okay? She was very kind. Her name was Ina You can't be named that and not be sweet. Like, it's just, it's just part of it. She was very sweet. Um, and she taught me and she taught our family a lot about what it means to be faithful to the Lord and to follow the Lord and to be hospitable. Um, I cannot speak enough about my grandmother. But one thing that I did know is that when Granny got loud, everybody listened. You know what I'm talking about? When Granny gets loud, everybody gets quiet. Because that means everybody done messed up. I only heard Granny get loud once at a Christmas gathering. That's because somebody messed up her plate, and that was a whole day. <laughs> Let me just tell you, all right? But Granny got loud. Elizabeth's kind of doing that right here. She gets loud with Mary. So she exclaimed with a loud voice. This wasn't a meek and mild statement. This was a yelling from across the yard. Blessed are you among women. I'm not going to do that because I'm mic'd, and that would hurt your ears, and so I'm trying to be respectful for these front row people here. Um, but she's yelling across the yard. Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. Mary hadn't talked to her yet. She didn't tell her that an angel came. But what we hear here is that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does that tell us? Mary needed affirmation. So God said, okay, have your affirmation. And Elizabeth affirmed her right here. And Elizabeth knew something was going on because it said that the baby leaped in her womb at the sign, at the sound of her voice. That word leaped is the same word that's used in Psalm 114, sorry, I had to make sure I had it right. Uh, Psalm 114, where it says the mountains skipped with joy. Same word, okay? Now, I don't know about you. I've never seen a mountain skip. But I can imagine a mountain skipping is what it feels like inside of the body of Mary or body of Elizabeth when that six-month-old baby decided to leap, (laughs) okay? I've only been on the outside where I felt the baby, you know, press their foot or press their hand up on the outside. It's really sweet. It's very moving. All new parents cry. It's a whole thing, right? But I don't know what it feels like for a baby to use her internal organs as a trampoline and leap. (laughs) And that's what happened. Baby leaped, and she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does she do with that? She affirms everything that angel said to Mary. She says, Mary, you are right to trust. Mary, you are right to do this, because this is what the Lord is doing, and you are blessed because of it. Sometimes, guys, we just need someone else to affirm us in what the Lord's asked us to do. And sometimes we don't need just that. We need someone to affirm us in the faith that we have. 
Because faith is hard, especially when you're confronting a hard season. It's hard. And it's hard because there are so many times we're asked to have faith, we're asked to trust, and we don't get to see the goalpost. We don't see the end of the tunnel. We don't even get to see the light sometimes. But Jesus tells us, have faith in me, trust that I'm with you, and let's go. And we can feel that, and guys, we can know that. We can know that all day long up here. And sometimes we can even believe it right here. But sometimes you just need someone else to come alongside you and can say, you know what, I see this. I see it in you. I see what God's doing. And it's going to be okay. I'm going to walk with you through it. That's why community is so important. And not just friends, but real, honest-to-goodness fellowship in the Spirit, brothers and sisters in Christ, who can walk with you and say, you know what, I see God doing this in you. I see it happening in your life. And I just want to affirm that it's okay and good. Not saying it's not easy. Not saying it's sunshine and roses. But I'm saying it's good. And I'm going to walk with you through it. And we're going to get to the other side and celebrate. That's what Mary needed. And so we know that she needed this because what is her response to this? Girls started to sing. I'm going to say that again because apparently that didn't land right. Her response to this was she started to sing. Girl bust out in worship. Now, if you've ever been in our house while we're like cleaning and doing random things, you will notice that Britter will start a song in one part of the house and I'll hear a snippet of it and then I'll start it in the other part of the house and somewhere along the way we meet in the middle and the kids join in and it's a whole thing. Not that it's like a fairy princess you know, movie where the, you know, the kids start to help, they just start to sing, okay? <laughs> and not only that, sometimes I'll, I'll start singing and Britter's like, that was the wrong key. And I'm like, you started in the wrong key. And so anyway, we won't get into that. But... It's the idea that in that moment, Mary's only response to having her faith affirmed was to worship the Lord. That's our response, or that should be our response, is our response should be to worship. And this is one more thing where we see where Mary knew her scripture, because all throughout this song, we see echoes of the Psalms. We see echoes of the promises of God. And she just busts out in this beautiful song. It's so beautiful that it has its own name. That's how you know it's good, right? When somebody gives it its own name. It's called the Magnificat, which is a great name. Um, it's Latin, and it means to magnify, okay? Now, science class for a second. There are two types of magnification, right? You have microscope. What does a microscope do? Make something really, really small visible. We've heard enough about microbiology over the past two years to last us the rest of our lives, so I'm not going to dwell on this. But what a microscope does is it makes something really small visible for us. There's another type of magnification, which has also been in the news lately, if you're a nerd like me, um, and that's a telescope. The James Webb Telescope has been sending back awesome pictures of the beautiful galaxies. If you haven't looked at it, go Google that. That's your homework for today, one of the few things I'm going to assign you to do. Um, but go look up James Webb Telescopes and see the beautiful images of these nebula and these galaxies and planets that have never been seen in this detail before. What that telescope is doing is making something incomprehensibly big visible to us. And that's what Mary does in this song. It magnifies the Lord, not making something small big, but making something so huge come into focus just for a moment, just for a glimpse. 
So let's see this song that she sings. Now, I'm not going to sing it, though other people have put it to music, so you can do that later. But listen to what she says. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who has mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Amen. This is a song that uh, has kind of echoed throughout the generations since it was written in the gospel. Almost every age of the church has come back to the song and said, this is something that we need to pay attention to. Not because Mary sang it, though that's important, but because it teaches us so much about our response to God. First off, we need to understand that this is probably not the, or it's not probably, it is not the first song sung by women in the Bible, okay? We go all the way back to Exodus, and we hear that Miriam, who's Mary's namesake, BTW, Miriam starts singing this song of deliverance, praising the Lord as the Israelites are leaving Egypt. We see in 1 Samuel, Hannah break out into song because the Lord promises her a son, and he fulfills that. We see multiple women giving praise to the Lord out of the good things he's doing in their lives. And it's something that we should pay attention to. It's something that I think also tells us a little bit more about Mary's mindset. Remember, Mary knows what she's agreed to. She's not dumb. She knows that by humbly accepting what God has told her to do, which is to have this son and to receive God's favor, she knows that that's going to come with a lot of hard things. She knows that she is going to have to go tell her husband, Joseph, future husband, betrothed husband, Joseph, hey, honey, I'm having a baby. It's not yours, but it belongs to the Lord. And I'm sure that conversation went just as well then as it would if it happened today. Okay? would probably went just as well. We know that because in another part of the scripture, uh, Gabriel has to show up to Joseph and say, look, dude, (laughs) I know what she said, but it's real and you're going to marry her. Okay? So just go, keep doing what you're doing. Okay? Um, So that's an important piece. Gabriel had to talk to Joseph too. She knew she was going to have to do that. She knew she lived in a small town. And you can hide a pregnancy for a little while, but there comes a point where you can't hide it no more. And people are going to start talking. And people are going to say things. And she's going to have to listen to that. She's going to have to almost be ostracized by her community. She's going to have to answer to her parents and Joseph's parents. And if you thought that conversation with Hard was Joseph, just wait till she gets to talk to her mother-in-law. That's all amens from the men in the room, but we're just going to keep moving. Um, <laughs> um, she knows that. She also knows that, Harry, uh, that Mary comes from a humble estate. She's not a woman of means. She may be from the house and line of David, but that money dried up a long time ago. She's living in Nazareth. I right? It's like living in Olo. Um, she doesn't have much. She's humble, and it's going to be hard to have a baby here. She knows that, but what does she do in the midst of that knowledge? She busts out in song. She worships the Lord. 
And she says that my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul is going to make much of God so that other people can see him more clearly because of what's going on in my life. I'm going to say that again. I'm going through a hard thing, but I'm going to make much of God so that other people can see what God's doing and rejoice about what's doing in my life. Because, guys, while you may be going through a hard season and it's hard, that hard season ain't just for you. It's for the people around you, too. Because there is nothing more affirming to faith than having to walk through a hard season and have people come alongside you and see you struggle and support you through it and come to the other end and say, isn't God good? My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Her joy is put exactly where it's supposed to be. You were with us when we talked through Philippians. We talked a lot about joy. Praise the Lord, because Paul talked a lot about it in Philippians. But her joy is not in her circumstance. Her joy is not in what's happening. Her joy ain't even in the promise of God. She says, my joy is in God, my Savior. So that tells us another thing, too. One, Mary knew she needed a Savior. She knew that she needed the salvation of God. There are some faith traditions that say that uh, God made Mary sinless in this moment and that she would be immaculate completely and not not able to sin again. That's not true because Mary was human just like me and you. But she also tells us right here, she knew she needed a Savior. So she rejoiced in that. She rejoiced in God, my Savior. She says he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She's talking about herself. And what she's saying is that he sees me for who I am. He sees me for exactly who I am. He didn't ask me to be anything other than who I am. But you know what? All generations will call me blessed. Now, you could read that and say, oh, well, Mary's starting to get that little bit of pride, right? No, no, because she puts a wonderful preposition there that says for, which tells us that the reason that people would call her blessed is because of this right here, and it's because he who is mighty has done great things for me. People will call her blessed, not because of what she did. They'll call her blessed because of what God did in her. Um, They'll call me blessed because God chose me for this and I have his favor, because I have his grace. That's what people will bless. And holy is his name. She gives praise where praise is due. It's not her, it's him. She says his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Guys, this is good. If you've been paying attention, we've said that this year we want to have Christmas for all what? All people, okay? We want Christmas for all people because this is a message for all people, and it starts right here. Mary, singing this song of praise over her unborn son, says his God's mercy is for those who fear him. She didn't say God's mercy is just for the house of Israel, the house of Jacob, the house of Judah, the house of David, me and my family, me. It's for all people, for all generation, from generation to generation, for those who fear him. Mary sang a promise over you. Mercy of God over you. Um, He has shown strength with his arm. God's power is present at this birth. And he has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. That's so good. Can we, can we land here for a second? Um, God will show that the proud will be scattered in the thoughts of their hearts. Pride is a, is a tricky thing because pride, uh, one, can sneak up on you. As soon as you say, man, I'm so humble, guess what? You're not anymore. <laughs> That's pride. Um, but God, pride is so sneaky 
but pride infiltrates the innermost thoughts of our hearts. It's the voice in us that's not like um, what our culture says, like you need to have value and worth. Like that's not it. Pride is the thing that says you don't need anybody else because you got you and that's enough. Pride is the voice that says, you know what? You deserve so much more than this. Pride is the voice that says, you know what? They just don't know you, so you can cut them out. Just go on with your life. That, that's not a voice from the Lord. That's pride. And what Mary says here is that God's going to scatter those thoughts, and they're not going to make much sense, because it doesn't. The voice that says you don't need anybody else is a lie because at the very least you need Jesus. We all do. And it's the very first step to coming to Jesus is recognizing that we need him. We can't come to Jesus in pride. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And the reason God does that is because as long as you come to God with pride, you don't need him. Because you can save yourself. That's what she's saying. God scatters the thoughts of the proud because the beautiful piece here is that you do need him. And you need him to bring it back together. Which is why the next statement she says is that they, um, I can find it again, <laughs> and exalted those of humble estate. He lifts up those who are lowly. He brings the mighty down from their thrones. Um, this is reflecting on themes throughout the Psalms, and here we have two Jewish women who are talking about overthrowing the government. Hallelujah, amen. Um, but what they're talking about is not necessarily their government. They're talking about the fact that Jesus is going to be king over all. And uh, that hasn't changed since then. Amen. He said, she says, he has filled the hungry with good things, and he has sent the rich away empty. Goes back to that idea that God knows who needs him. And he satisfies those. And he sends the rich away empty because they're trying to save themselves. They don't need him to provide for him. And he has helped his servants Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring. Jesus is the fulfillment of every single one of God's promises, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 when he sits Abraham on a hill and he says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And you're going to have a descendant who will be king over all and be a blessing to every family on the earth. Mary knew that. And her response for here is worship. It's to sing this out to the Lord in praise, right there in Elizabeth's living room. Some of the most powerful moments that we can have with the Lord are in somebody's living room, where we can just really, truly see and be affirmed and know that God is good. Y'all, that's a lot to process. This is a rich text, and we barely scratched the surface on this. There's so much here, and there's so much that Mary teaches us about our response to the Lord. So I want to give you a couple of things um, that I want you to write down. So grab that response card. There's a section on it that says notes. Um, I don't have it on a slide, but I'm going to tell it to you, and I want you to write it down, because here are the things that I want you to walk away with today from hearing Mary's story and hearing these things. Number one, God always keeps his word. God always keeps his word. And what that means is that we can trust what he says. 
God's word never fails. And he keeps it. I'm not going to sing the song, but, um, And we can trust what he says. The second thing I want you to write down is our response to God's word, God's word, excuse me, is an active faith. Our response is an active faith. Mary's response was not passive. Mary's response was active. She didn't go lock herself up in her prayer closet for nine months with a copy of the scroll of Isaiah and just sit there and pray and say, God's going to got it. God's got it. We're going to be good. No, Mary got up and she went to see Elizabeth. She actively responded. She, re, she sought the Lord and she affirmed and got the affirmation that she needed. And then she trusted and then she worshiped. She didn't sit back and wait. She did it. Guys, if your faith is not active, it's not doing anything. Faith is like a river. You're either going against the current or you're going with it. But you're not sitting still. There is no neutral. So Mary's faith and our response to God's word has to be that active faith. We have to do it. It requires it of us. The next thing I want you to write down is that our faith needs affirmation. You need it. You need people around you who can affirm your faith. There is nothing more lonely than being in a place where you are the only person who knows, the only person who believes. That's hard because you feel so alone and so unseen and so unknown. But the truth is, is that even in that space, you're not alone. (laughs) Jesus says he's right there with you. And he can provide so much in that moment, in that space. But God did not make us to stay there. You need the people of God around you to affirm you. That's why at Impact we have community groups. And we say that we are a church of community groups, not a church that does community groups. Because that is where the gospel is best lived out, is in that community. Where you can show up on a night of the week and say, guys, my life is falling apart. And you've got a ready-made group that can say, how can we help? And how can we walk with you through it? We've done it 15 times in our group. And I know every group has had that moment where sometimes you just got to show up and be honest and say, this is where I'm at and I need help. And you get it. Our faith needs affirmation. And finally, the last thing I want you to write down is that even when it's hard, we can still worship. Even when it's hard, we can still worship. Because that's the thing, is that even when it's hard and you can't see the end and you don't know what's going to happen and your anxiety spikes and your depression spirals and you are falling apart at the seams, if you can't do anything else, you can worship. God gleefully accepts the cries of the brokenhearted. And the songs that we sing in those moments are sometimes the most precious and the most heartfelt. So we can worship. What's beautiful about this is that it make, all of this is made possible. All of these things that we can walk away with are made possible, not because of Mary, but because of a guy named Jesus. It's her son. 
And we can put our faith and trust in him. Remember how Gabriel described him? He is great. He is abundant and surpassing of worth. He is the son of the most high. That's who he is. It's who he always was and it's who he will always be. Nothing can ever change that. He sits on the throne of his father, David, right now. Jesus is not coming back to reclaim a throne. Jesus already has the throne, and he is currently sitting on it, and that is where he rules. Now, we may not see that work out the way that we want it to, and we may not see that work out in the political party we support or the country that we think is best or the state or the whatever, but the fact remains that Jesus is sitting on his throne, and of the end of his reign, there will be no end. And when he does come again, and he does bring back and make that visit, I'm not talking to you, Siri. When he does bring that back for us, guys, that is going to be a joyous day. But you know what? If you don't live to see it, there is a day where you are going to see it. There is a day that when you close your eyes on this earth and you open them in front of him, he's on his throne. And there ain't nothing that's changing that. So as we enter into our response time, I want to ask you some questions to think about. Now, worship team, you guys can come on up. Um, I'm going to ask you to think about some of these things so that you know how to respond. Because when we respond, we believe that every time we hear the word of God, you have a response to make. Okay? Now, we have some things that we do anyway. So there are communion stations on either side of the room. And so maybe this is a time for you to go take communion. Taking communion is just a way that you remember and proclaim the Lord Jesus' death and resurrection until he comes again. That's what he told us to do. So if you don't know Jesus, skip that part because it's just a really crunchy stale cracker and some juice that doesn't agree with most people. <laughs> but for those of you who believe, it's the body and blood of Jesus. And it's a symbol that reminds us of his sacrifice. And it reminds us of what he's done for us. And it's a reminder of the covenant that we have in him that he carries us through. Um, there's our giving station in the back. We believe that your uh, giving of money is a way of worship and response to the Lord. Not just money, though. Um, that's also the place where if you wrote down on that blue card your name and a way that we can pray for you, that's where you can put it during that time. Because maybe your response today isn't to give money, but maybe it's just to ask for prayer. That's a response. And we have a team that meets every Thursday, even on Thanksgiving, to pray for you by name, out loud, on a Zoom call. So we would love to pray for you this week. Those are some easy ways that you can respond, as well as in just a moment, our worship team is going to lead us in a song of response. But to prepare our hearts for that, I'm going to ask you some questions. So if you will close your eyes and bow your head so you're not distracted by anything, you're not distracted by me walking around or by moving of the tables or anything like that, but that you can just listen to these questions. And I want you to let them resonate in your heart for just a moment. What promise of God do you need to have faith in today? What promise of God do you need to have faith in? Maybe you need to have the faith in just the very simple promise that Jesus saves you. Maybe you need to go all the way back to that. Maybe you need to know today that Jesus can and will and does save you. Is it the promise of God's presence in your life that you need to have faith in today? Because that's what he promises. He says that I will be with you always to the very end of the age. If you know him, do you just need to remember and to trust in his promise of his presence?
Do you need to be reminded today of the promise of God's provision for you? Because he provides everything that you need. If you are overwhelmed with anxieties about financials or about earthly possessions or about the holidays or about family or friends, let me invite you today to believe in the promise that Jesus satisfies you. My next question for you today, and as you're thinking about your response, is how does that faith, you've said this is the promise I need to believe, how does that faith need to be active in your life? Because if you walk away today and you just get in your car and go to lunch and say, that was really good, Wes did a good job, let me send him a text, or not, whatever, and you'd walk away today and that's all, then that faith and belief in that promise didn't actually happen. So how does that faith need to be active in your life? My next question is, is how do you need to be affirmed? Maybe today at the end of the service, you need to go to someone and say, you know what, can you just affirm Jesus in me? Can you just affirm that this is true? This is what I'm going through, and this is what I feel, and this is how I think. Can you just affirm that? Or can you tell me where I'm wrong? And my last question for you today is, are you able to worship today? Unhindered, unafraid, unashamed, knowing that Jesus keeps his promises for you. We're going to sing a song in just a moment that's called Behold Our God. And if anything today, out of these words from Mary and the Gospel of Luke, my prayer is that you got to see God a little bit more clearly and hear from his spirit and how you need to respond to him today. Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church Sermon Podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello at impactfxbg.church. If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not, please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.